0: Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2014, titled Christ and His Law. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 7 for May 10 to 16, Christ the End of the Law. It's Sabbath afternoon, May ten. Before we start, let's pray Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ, your Son Came that each of us could have eternal life And in the process, he fulfilled the requirements of the law As we study more about that great love The grace and the action that was taken We pray that we may open our hearts more for your love to be part of our lives, and that your Spirit will guide us as we read this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text is Romans ten fourteen, For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. A well-known magazine ran a full-page ad with a headline that read, Achieve Immortality. We're Not Kidding. In a sense, they were kidding, because the ad went on to say, To find out how you can leave a charitable legacy that will make gifts in your name forever, contact us for our free booklet. Writers, scholars, philosophers and theologians through the millennia have all wrestled with the question of death and what death does to the meaning of our lives. Hence the ad was a clever if ultimately unsuccessful way to help people deal with their mortality. In contrast, throughout the New Testament we have been shown the only way to achieve immortality and that is through faith in Jesus as opposed to the keeping of the law even though we are to keep it. Indeed, obeying the law is not in conflict with grace. On the contrary, It's what we're supposed to do as a result of receiving grace. This week, we continue exploring law and grace. Sunday, May eleven, where sin abounded. Though it points out sin, the law is powerless to save us from them. That very powerlessness, however, shows us our need for Jesus, the only solution for sin. Question: Read Romans chapter five, verses twelve to twenty-one. In what way is the message of God's grace revealed in these texts? Verse twelve: Therefore. Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law of sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law, nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come." But the free gift is not like the offence. For if by the one man's offence many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offence resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offences resulted in justification." For if by the one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offence judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life." For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice in this passage the constant association between sin and death. Time and again they appear in immediate relationship with each other, and that's because sin, the violation of God's law, leads to death. Now read Romans 5.20 Moreover the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. When the law entered, sin abounded, in a sense that the law clearly defined what sin was. However, instead of bringing in the natural result of sin, which is death, Paul says this, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In other words, no matter how bad sin is, God's grace is sufficient to cover it for those who claim His promises by faith. Influenced by the translation of 1 John 3, four in the King James Version, sin is the transgression of the law, many restrict sin to the violation of the Ten Commandments alone. However, a more literal translation is, sin is lawlessness, anomia. Anything that goes against the principles of God is sin. Hence, although the Ten Commandments have not yet been formally revealed when Adam ate the forbidden fruit he violated a command of God and was consequently guilty of sin. Indeed, it is through the sin of Adam that the curse of death has affected all generations of humanity, as expressed in Romans chapter 5. In contrast to Adam's unfaithfulness, Jesus' loyalty to God's law resulted in the hope of eternal life. Although tempted, Jesus never yielded to sin, Here in Romans, Paul extols Jesus' righteous obedience which has resulted in eternal life as he expresses in verses 18-21 to for those who accept it. As the second Adam, Jesus kept the law fully and broke the curse of death. His righteousness can now become that of the believer's. A person condemned to death by inheriting the sin of the first Adam can now embrace the gift of life by accepting the righteousness of the second Adam, Jesus. Monday, May 12, Law and Grace One of the most difficult concepts for Christians to comprehend is the continued role of the law for the one saved by grace. If a believer attains righteousness by accepting the sufficiency of the life and death of Jesus, why is it still necessary to keep the law? This question provides another opportunity to repeat a key point. The law was never intended to provide salvation. Its function after the fall was to define sin. Yet the cross doesn't negate the need for a person to follow God's law any more than someone having been pardoned for violating the speed limit can now continue to violate it. Question: According to Romans chapter 6 verse 12 and verses 15 to 23, What are the implications for living a life of grace? Especially note verses 12, 15, and 17. Well, let's begin with Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And then in verses 15 to 23. What then, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness.' What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the verses to take note of particularly, first of all, Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts. Verse 15, What then shall we sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. And verse 17, But God be thanked, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Grace and the law are not contraries. They do not negate each other. Instead, they are powerfully connected. The law, because it can't save us, shows us why we need grace. Grace is not opposed to law, but to death. Our problem was not the law itself, but the eternal death that resulted from violating it. Paul warns the Christian to be careful about using the promised gift of grace as an excuse for sin. Because sin is defined through the law, when Paul tells Christians not to sin, he is basically telling them, keep the law, obey the commandments. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 393, Paul had ever exalted the divine law. He had shown that in the law there is no power to save men from the penalty of disobedience wrongdoers must repent of their sins and humble themselves before God whose just wrath they have incurred by breaking his law and they must also exercise faith in the blood of Christ as their only means of pardon. And so to finish today, why is it so easy to get caught up in the faulty logic that says that because we are not saved by the law we no longer have to keep it? Tuesday, May 13, O Wretched Man Question. Read Romans chapter 7, verses 13 to 25. How are we to understand these verses? Is Paul talking about an unconverted man, or is this the experience of the converted? What reasons can you give for your answer? Well, let's begin at verse 21 in chapter 7 of Romans. Has then what is good become death to me? certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law in my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. If you are unsure as to whom these verses refer, you are not alone. Theologians also have wrestled with this question for centuries. The person described here is someone who delights in the law of God, hardly sounds like a non-believer, yet who seems to be enslaved to sin, which makes no sense because Christians are promised power over sin. The Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary, after looking at the arguments from both sides, says, in Volume 6, page 554, Paul's main purpose in the passage seems to be to show the relationship that exists between the law, the gospel, and the person who has been awakened to earnest struggles against sin in preparation for salvation. Paul's message is that, although the law may serve to precipitate and intensify the struggle, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring victory and relief. End of quote. No matter how we look at these verses, we must always remember that the person who struggles with sin is still capable of making right choices. If this were not the case, all the Pauline as well as other promises about power over sin would be meaningless. Also, as Matthew 5 demonstrates, sin often starts before an act is committed. Consequently, a person is in violation of the law simply by thinking something sinful. Ordinarily, this reality could be a source of frustration. However, in the context of Romans 7, the individual may be helpless, but he is not hopeless. For the person who lives in the Spirit, the ever-present law serves as a constant reminder that deliverance from condemnation comes through Jesus, as expressed in the last two verses of chapter 7 in Romans and the first two verses of chapter 8. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life is Christ Jesus who made me free from the law of sin and death. And so to finish today, read again the verses for today. In what ways do they parallel your own experience with the Lord, despite your struggles, how can you experience the hope that Paul nevertheless expressed there? Wednesday, May 14, The Goal of the Law The title for this week's lesson comes from Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. Many who have been preconditioned to think negatively about the law automatically interpret the text to mean Christ made the law obsolete. However, this reading goes against the many references in the book of Romans and other parts of the New Testament that discuss the continued relevance of the law. Question Read Romans chapter 9, verse 30, through to chapter 10, verse 4. How is Paul explaining here how salvation is by faith and not by the law? Beginning at verse 30 in chapter 9. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness? Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offence, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. As with the rest of the epistle to the Romans, Paul's purpose in these verses, is to demonstrate the true source of righteousness. The law is an indicator of righteousness, but it is powerless to make people righteous. Hence, Paul portrays a paradox. The nations, Gentiles, who did not even strive for righteousness, have obtained it, while Israel, who strove to keep the righteous law, did not obtain it. Paul is not excluding Jews from righteousness. Neither is he saying that every non-Jew is righteous. He is simply saying that the Lord does not bring righteousness to a sinner, whether Jew or Gentile. Many Jews were sincere in their desire for righteousness, but their quest was futile. They were zealous about serving God, but wanted to do so on their own terms. They had taken an object of God's revelation, the law, and confused it with the source of their salvation. As good as the law is, it's not good enough to save anyone. In fact, rather than making a person righteous, the law highlights the individual's sinfulness. It amplifies the need for righteousness. That's why Paul describes Christ as the end of the law. He is not the end in the sense of terminating the law, but in the sense of being the goal of the law, the one to whom the law points. The law leads a person to Christ as the repentant sinner looks to him for salvation. The law reminds us Christians that Christ is our righteousness, as expressed in Romans 10.4. So to finish today... People who take the law seriously are always in danger of legalism, of seeking to establish their own righteousness. As we seek to obey God's law, how can we be careful not to fall into what can be a very subtle trap? Thursday, May 15, The Disciplinarian Our text for today is Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. What purpose, then, does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. In harmony with the book of Romans, Paul is careful to stipulate in Galatians that the purpose of the law is to define sin and not to make people righteous. Question. Read Galatians chapter 3 verses 23 and 24. What images does Paul use to describe the purpose of the law? What do you think the images mean? But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Depending on the translation, the law is identified in verse 24 as a schoolmaster, a taskmaster, a tutor, and custodian, among other designations. The Greek term refers to a slave employed by a wealthy individual to be a disciplinarian for his son. It was the tutor's responsibility to ensure that the son learned self-discipline. Although a slave, the tutor was given the authority to do that which was necessary to keep the son in line, even if it meant physical punishment. When the son reached adulthood, the tutor no longer had authority over him. Question. In light of the explanation of the role of the tutor, what do you think is the purpose of the law for someone who has received salvation in Christ? Although the tutor no longer had authority over the adult son, it was expected that the lessons that the son had learned would enable him to make mature decisions. Similarly, while the Christian is not under the condemning power of the law, as a person who has attained maturity, he or she is expected to govern his or her actions in accordance with the principles of the law. In addition to its role as tutor... The law also operated as a caretaker that protected the believer until the faith came. In verse 23, let's read that again. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Here again we see that Christ is the end, the goal of the law. Paul makes the point explicitly when he says that the law brought us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith, in verse 24. So to finish today, read carefully Galatians 3.21. What does it say that should forever end any idea that we can be saved by obedience to the law? Why is this such good news? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath Verse 21 Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not For if there had been a law given Which could have given life Truly righteousness would have been by the law friday may 16 from the book selected messages book 1 page 234 to 235 we read the law reveals sin to us and causes us to feel our need of christ and to flee unto him for pardon and peace by exercising repentance toward god and faith toward our lord jesus christ The law of Ten Commandments is not to be looked upon as much from the prohibitory side as from the mercy side. Its prohibitions are the sure guarantee of happiness in obedience. As received in Christ, it works in us the purity of character that will bring joy to us through eternal ages. To the obedient, it is a wall of protection." We behold in it the goodness of God, who by revealing to men the immutable principles of righteousness, seeks to shield them from the evils that result from transgression. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. In class, talk about the wonderful hope found in Galatians 3.21. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. How is the gospel of grace so clearly presented here? And why should this text be the absolute antidote to legalism? 2. Godly living is not optional for those who call themselves children of God. Many well-meaning individuals stress the need for us to obtain perfection if we desire to enter the kingdom. Unfortunately, those who embrace this doctrine not only promote self-sufficiency as a key to salvation, but they also ignore the reality of sinful human nature. Humans have to live with inherited tendencies toward sin and are constantly bombarded with temptation. Even more troubling is the discouragement that can come to those who are constantly looking to themselves and how well they are doing as a barometer of their salvation. Compared to the holiness of God and His law, who among us can ever measure up? How, then, Can we be careful that, while seeking to live godly, faithful lives, we do not get caught up in any theology that puts the hope of our salvation in anything other than the righteousness of Christ covering us? And question three. What is the goal of the law? Inside Story Our story today is titled, Togi's Triumph. My friends called me Togi. I live in the capital city of Mongolia. My family isn't Christian, so I grew up not knowing much about Jesus. One day, a friend of my grandmother gave me an invitation to meetings at the Seventh Day Adventist Church, where a missionary was speaking. Grandmother gave the invitation to my aunt, who asked me to go with her to the meetings. I wasn't really interested, but I went out of respect for her, and I was curious about Christians. I was surprised that I enjoyed the meetings. The people were kind, and the pastor spoke about the kingdom of God. I decided to return to the church again. Before too long, I asked to join the church. I am the only member of my family who is a believer, and this creates some problems for me. My father tries to keep me from attending church by giving me work to do on Sabbath. But my mother lets me go because what she's heard about Jesus and his teachings is good. My friends tease me about becoming a Christian, and I felt ostracized by them. Some of them were a bad influence, so when I became a Christian, I quit hanging out with them. Some kids thought I was bad before I became a Christian, and when I became a Christian, they thought I was becoming something even worse. I didn't know how to explain my faith. There aren't that many Adventists in Mongolia, so I felt alone. The pastor invited me to camp meeting that summer I was so excited. I made lots of new friends and had lots of fun playing sports and learning about God. It was a great experience. Being with other Christian young people has helped me mature in my faith. I was shy and didn't talk a lot before, but I'm learning to speak in front of people and express myself. Christ and my new friends in church have given me confidence. Now I can talk to people easily and can express myself better. When my classmates see the changes in me, they realise that God has made a difference in my life and that Christianity isn't a bad thing. It's difficult to be the only believer in my family, but the friends I've made in church are like my family. They help me stay faithful to God when I feel weak. I'm especially grateful for the youth ministries the church offers. The youth camp was established in part with a recent 13th Sabbath offering. Thank you for caring. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.